Welcome to the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. And I'm Murray Robinson. So today we're going to talk about assessing agile capability. Yes, I thought we could talk about how to assess the agile capabilities of people when you're hiring them, how to assess the agile capabilities of consultants and other firms you might engage, and also how to assess your own capabilities internally. I have interviewed and hired a few scrum masters in my day and my experience is about a third of them are full of shit about a third are mediocre and a third are quite good i found that there was no correlation at all between the quality of a scrum master and the brand name of the consulting company that they'd worked for so People coming from the big four professional services consulting firms were no better than independents. People coming from specialized agile consulting firms were not particularly better than average. I have a theory that the more agile projects they've worked on, the more experience they have, the better scrum master they're going to be. Did that ever ring true? Was it people who've been scrum mastering for a while or scrum coaching for a while? Do they tend to show more expertise? Yes. Years of experience helps a great deal. There's a lot of people who've done a two or three day Scrum Master certification and they are just beginners. So the more experience you have, the better, but it really matters that you have experience in an organization that's doing Agile well. I've worked with a few Scrum Masters and Agile coaches that have come out of banks and they tend to have got Agile completely the wrong way around. So they've learnt what a Scrum fall, and that's what they think Agile is. What I'm looking for is people who have a couple of years of experience at least doing Agile with a good team. And in particular, I'm looking for people who demonstrate that they're continually learning so that they're actually really interested in this area. They're enthusiastic about it. They go to meetups. They're reading books about it. They're reading blog posts. We can have interesting discussions about the pros and cons of different agile techniques and approaches, and they'll be well informed about it. So that sounds to me like they've chosen to be a scrum coach or an agile coach. It's not just a hobby. So they say, I want to do this role. I'm going to invest in the time that's necessary to get educated, get upskilled, to learn what works, what doesn't, and get the expertise and experience to do it. Versus I was a project manager and uh, I see you've gotten a scrum coach job. Pick me. Yeah. And I've done my two-day scrum master certification course this yeah. year. So yeah, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm also looking for people who have the right mindset. Well, what I've talked about before as an agile mindset, that is they're a servant leader, they're humble, they're learning, they are helping and empowering. I like people who are experts as well and who can say what they think. I don't like people who are hands-off and wishy-washy and all. We don't give people any advice because that prevents them from learning. I don't like that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I remember one scrum coach, every time he got asked a question by the team, he always said, it depends. He was saying, you go work it out because that's what needs to happen. I like to say, I've seen some patterns before. Here's what they look like. These customers or other teams use them in this way and got success. These other teams use them in this way and didn't. If you feel any of them might work for you, give them a go. 
So provide yeah. at least some options. We can help teams accelerate safer by providing some guidance, I think. Yeah, we can provide patterns and we understand the issues. So what I do in these interviews, Shane, is I do what's called behavioral interviewing. I give them a real life example and we just talk it through. So I'll take something maybe that's going on at the moment or talk about a team that I know is having some issues and I'll just give a description of what's happening and then say, what would you do? I'll start off with a simple problem. Let's say the team is not meeting their commitments and see what they think. And then I'd make the problem progressively harder and harder until I can see that they can't answer it anymore. That's how I can assess the difference between somebody who's excellent and somebody who's just good. Yeah. Somebody that's a novice versus somebody that expects they've been doing it for a while. Yeah. So novices tend to be really by the book, but they don't really understand what the book has told them. So you get a lot of rehearsed answers, the sort of things that people would say to pass an exam. But when you dig into why they can't really answer it. The other thing is that it's common for people to still think that teams commit to a certain number of points per sprint, and then they have to work over time to do it. And that's no longer a thing. So people who say that show me that they're outdated. I ask people, tell me what are the, pro the common problems in Scrum? that you encounter, because all of these techniques, and it's the same with Kanban, all of these patterns have strengths and weaknesses, and you need to combine them together so that strengths offset the weaknesses. And people who are inexperienced can't tell you about the weaknesses of the patterns that they're using, because they haven't had enough experience yet to see it. So that's what I'm looking for. And I have interviewed people who appeared good in the first 15 minutes. But after that, I realized that they learned everything out of a book and didn't know what they were talking about. I've interviewed people from major international well-known consulting companies who have an attitude of, I don't really care. It's other people's responsibility. As a scrum master, I just facilitate stand-ups and ceremonies and that's pretty bad. So go through a scenario. You're interviewing, two people turn up. One, somebody who used to be a business analyst, they've gone through and done the two-day certification. They've worked in a team that did a little bit of agile, but was probably closer to would a scrum fail, but they still believe it's a better way of working. And they're passionate. They've shown that they're willing to research, willing to learn, willing to experiment, and they look like a good servant leader. Second person turns up. They've been doing scrum coaching for five years. They've got big, glorious name customers that they've worked with. They actually do have expertise and experience. They've been in the trenches by the book. This is how you do it. My way or the highway approach. Which one would you hire? Depends on the needs of the situation. If I needed somebody to be effective straight away and they had to work independently, I might hire the second person. They might not do things exactly the way I want, but they're able to work independently and they're probably quite good. The problem I would have with them is that they might be doing quite a few things wrong because they've learned it from a big bank or a water scrum fall environment. And I'd be worried that they might not be coachable because they've got a too high opinion of themselves. The first one would be good for a lower stake role where they just don't need to be so senior and we've got time to 
coach them and support them through. So I say it depends on the circumstances and, and also how much they're asking for because I've noticed that some of these people that I would class as quite mediocre and I wouldn't even hire them asking for a great deal of money these days. Yeah, and I think also for me, it depends whether it's a permanent or a contract role. So is the person going to be a permanent who's able to grow into that role and be part of the team and help grow the capability in the organization long-term, or is it somebody who's full-time contractor, which is fine, but they're accountable for coming in, getting the job done, and then going on to the next gig, right? So that lens is often useful as well. What worries me, Shane, is I've seen other managers hire people to be agile coaches similar to me and think that they've hired somebody really good. And then I discover that this person has come out of a big bank or a big professional services consulting firm, and they've got the completely wrong idea about what Agile is, and they are really into silos and waterfall, but because they're doing things in sprints with user stories, they think it's Agile. So they're really into JIRA and processes and documents, and they've just got the wrong end of the stick, and people still hire them because I guess a lot of people's think that's what agile is unfortunately but also it's hard when you buy your house or you hire a person you get a couple of hours if you're lucky then you find out what the house of the person's really like when you're working with them or living in it for a few years i can assess people because i'm an expert in agile delivery and coaching and it, it's fine for me but few people can i find the recruiters are looking for just a big company name on your resume and some certifications and and they're looking for people who've got a bit of a gift of the gab so recruiters can't tell and then a lot of managers can't tell either and so as a result of that they are going off brand names so the big professional services firms have done very well during this last COVID epidemic I said that Accenture and Deloitte have both had 15% revenue growth and increased profitability I can see what's happened is that executives have become nervous because of COVID and they've just decided to go with the big brand name because nobody gets fired for hiring the big brand name. Yeah, the duopoly supermarket chains are probably the only ones that are done better out of COVID than the big consulting companies. Sounds like there's a bit of an opportunity in the marketplace for a agile coach recruitment person, one who actually goes out and recruits those skills for organizations where they're, they're recruiting based on having done it. Except that the main job of a recruitment consultant is not actually recruiting people who are a good fit for the job. Their main job is to sell and get revenue. They are measured on how much revenue they get in and they're closely monitored and closely managed. What about if you are a scrum master or a agile coach, how can you work out whether your employer is going to be good to join? Yeah, so when a customer approaches me, the first thing I really look for is somebody at a relatively senior level that's going to provide cover for the team as they experiment. And if that person doesn't exist, then we're asking for a hiding and I probably go find something else. Because in my experience, if you don't have that cover, when things go wrong, the jackboots come out and knee-jerk reactions happen and, and you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do because the, the command and control from the top's coming down. I used to think understanding the team before I started was important. Are they really open to working in a new way? But I've backed off on that a bit because I've 
often started working with teams that I thought weren't really into it. And then as they experiment, as they do this new way of working, they love it. There's often people on the team, I think there's no way you're going to move away from that regimented waterfall process. And they completely flip and they, they say, oh, wow, never thought I'd like this stuff, but I actually enjoy coming to work now. I'm in far more control of what work I'm doing and the quality and how I do it. So the next one is why are they hiring me? What are they trying to achieve? If I hear, look, we've started down this agile way of working, you know, we've been doing it for a little while, the team are getting some good traction, but they just keep hitting some problems and we think getting some coaching would be useful. And that's a big plus for me. If I hear, I remember one was a SAP project and it was, we need to actually increase the amount of work. We're not delivering fast enough. We're not delivering quick enough. The underlying theme really wasn't about changing the way the team worked for good. It was about increasing the throughput. It was about chicken farming better. So that wasn't one that I took. The other one, is it sustainable? Is there a person who's going to pick up the coaching mantle internally over time? Or are we going to go in and start this journey? And then because I'm a consultant, I'll leave. And there's nobody internal to pick up that coaching role. And that coaching role needs to exist all the time. Who are we upskilling to be that coach on an ongoing basis for that team? That's another important capability for me. That means that there's a chance that this way of working will persist. Yeah. What I'm looking for is managers who are wanting to do something new, willing to try something new, willing to provide you with that support because they, they do have a problem that they need solved. What I've found a problem is going into big corporates using a safe approach where the program manager is really controlling. And it can be quite difficult to tell to start with, but I worked for one project director who was destroying his own agile implementation by being authoritarian. It's also a problem working for people who don't have support internally. So let's say that they brought you in to help them do agile, but actually they don't have the cover from their managers. And a lot of this is quite hard to tell from outside. So it can be a bit hit and miss. And really, I just try and make the best of the circumstance and add as much help as I can. Yeah. So I don't mind if the person that's bringing me in doesn't have air cover. But if the conversation goes something like, look, the team's starting to experiment, they're getting good traction, we need some help. I've introduced this idea that we can work this way, but the rest of the organization doesn't follow this mantra and isn't backing us. So we don't have air cover. As long as it's up front, then you can look at it and go, okay, well, this is going to be a bit rockier than if we did, but we've still got a, a servant leader who's passionate about the team working in a different way. If they can get the money to bring me in, then they've got some power, some influence because they've got budget, rank their capability to be successful lower. But, you know, I might still engage. Whereas putting my unagile hat on, if you said to me, we're a safe organization, I'd say, thank you very much and look somewhere else. I don't like the safe way of working and therefore I just won't do it. What would you do, Shane, if you were, you were advising a client who was hiring a professional services firm to come on? In and help them with the digital transformation in an agile way. And a lot of them just don't deliver on their promises. So what would you say to a client who's trying to decide who to engage? So I think there's a couple of things in there, but if we take it with the agile lens, I'd say hire an organization that's going to coach your internal team to be self-sufficient. If you believe that professional services company, if their revenue, if their business model is to come in and coach, get you up to speed and exit, go for it. 
if that's not their model, then find somebody who's, that is their model. I think this digital transformation is just bullshit. I think it's old uh, clothes for new. It's the new buzzword or it was the new buzzword. It has all the hallmarks of badly run pieces of work. There are massive amounts of people spending massive amounts of time with massive amounts of dollars to radically change something on day one. It's just bollocks. But, you know, everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I would say that just because a company has a really big international brand name in digital transformation doesn't mean that they're actually any good at it at all. It depends largely on the people that, that you get on your project. Those companies are highly variable internally on how they work, even if they have best practices and playbooks and things. What you actually get depends a lot on the quality of the people they put on the engagement and you shouldn't be surprised to learn that a large number of those people are actually contractors they will claim that they've got thousands of people and then they'll go and hire a whole lot of contractors under the umbrella of a few permanent staff so i've had quite mixed results with the big name consulting firms i think the really big professional services firms not the mckinsey's and baines the, the big professional services firms that charge two to four thousand dollars per day per person those firms frequently implementing water scrum fall which is the old way of working dressed up with agile words and being done in sprints and it has all of the old problems of going way over time way over budget Poor quality, big bang implementations, enormous amount of conflict internally between vendors and just not delivering on expectations. As you said about the recruitment market, you got to look at the business model. So if the business model of the recruiters is low margins, then it's a volume game, then they're going to give you as much time as they can based on that volume business model. It's the same with the large consulting firms. They're a permit scheme. So you may get a really good person who's an awesome scrum coach but their business model is not for that person to stay with you for the entire lifetime of your work that person will be moved on to other customers when they need to move them on so i have a preference for the niche agile consulting companies because that's their business their business is to coach and do agile they have training material and onboarding and ways of upskilling their team with the expertise of the coaching level people in their organization. They're focused on the success of an agile way of working. It's just not one line of their business. So I believe those companies probably are a bit, if you want good coaching capability, apart from consultants like me, of course. What about though, if you're engaging a professional services firm to rebuild your systems and so that they're going to come in and they're going to build things for you while doing it all in a world's best practice agile way because that's the common case people tend not to hire boutique agile consulting companies because they think that if they get in one of these big professional services firms they'll get that at the same time yeah but the market's changed at least in new zealand three four years ago i would have said that the majority of the coaching people in the market were either independent contractors or people in the niche agile consulting companies. We go through waves. We're at the wave of nobody got fired for buying IBM. Nobody gets fired for giving $500 million to a big shiny suit company, but that'll change. The market always goes through waves. And then the next wave will go back to niche consulting companies when organizations realize that the capability they think they're buying is not actually there. 
Yeah, I find that the people with the best skills and the best processes are at the niche consulting companies. They're also a lot cheaper than the enormous brand name consulting firms. It's much better value. Yeah, I'm thinking about it as we talk, and and I think for me to answer your question, eventually, I'd I'd say to the customer, what are you buying? Are you buying a digital transformation where some of your old legacy systems get transformed into a digital platform, aka you're implementing a CRM? Then if the vendor uses Agile or they don't, it's up to them. They use whatever way works for them to deliver that outcome for you. The success criteria is you have a new platform that works. If you're wanting to change the way your organization works and adopt an Agile way of working internally, then you can use a project or a program to be the first cab off the rank to experiment with. But there's a chance that what you deliver is suboptimal the first time because you should be focusing on your way of working, not successful delivery of that technology or that platform. But I don't think vendors are equal in their ability to deliver a quality outcome for you. I think the quality of the outcome depends a lot on their ways of working. In my experience, a company that is good at design thinking and genuinely good at agile and good at the technical practices of XP and DevOps are going to hand over to you a solution which is far superior than an average big brand consulting firm. Yeah, because it comes down to expertise. And if they have adopted an agile way of working themselves, if that's how they run their business, then my belief is they'll have a better delivery. They'll be a better business for you to work with. It's not unusual to have a large organization that's geographically dispersed and one team in a city is particularly good at delivering in an agile way and another tribe is particularly bad at it. So everybody's going to implement it or, or use it differently. What about engaging a company that's in India or the Philippines or Vietnam to do your software development for you in supposedly an agile way? Because I've had pretty bad experiences doing this. I've worked with all of the, the big Indian famous software companies, and they've been pretty good at doing things in a traditional way. Not great. Okay. The people who work on shore with you tend to be very good. The people who are working offshore tend to be like a sweatshop in a lot of ways, and the quality is pretty bad. I've found that when these companies say they work in an agile way, that they actually don't know what they're talking about and that they are typically just doing things in the traditional waterfall way with all the problems it brings. Yeah, so I don't have a lot of experience in that space. For our startup, we looked initially at should we outsource the development of our front end to one of those companies. I initially engaged with a, a couple to see what would happen. We quickly got taken into a large requirements upfront process even though I said we needed an agile way of working. So that and all the other problems that come with it of people not you having the same primary language being in you know, a different country and that stuff. I mean, our development team are actually remote. They're scattered around the world, but they're not working for one of those organizations. I had a, a good friend of mine that worked for a US company, but the development shop was in, in another country and they were building all of the billing software. And something happened and he ended up dropped in as the product owner for the development team. 
this is all conversations over beers, but I got the impression that one of the major problems is how the people in those development shops are incented. So again, coming back to the recruiter, if the recruiter is incented to close five recruitment deals a day, they're going to behave in a certain way. And my understanding was a lot of those developers were under the gun for the volume of code, not the quality of code delivered. They were incented to hide problems rather than expose problems that needed to be fixed. So there was a whole lot of business practice in those organizations that meant it was hard for the developers to be self-organizing. There was no serving leaders. There was large amounts of hierarchy and nobody was able to take a risk. Yeah. Third hand, that's, that's what I've, I think is one of the major problems with that model. I think that there are good quality agile technical people in those countries, but they're very much in a minority. I know one company that recruited a whole lot of people that seem really good, really agile. They've come out of ThoughtWorks India and companies that are really doing agile properly in India. I haven't actually engaged them to do any work, but I'm optimistic that they would be good. But I think it's just a lot harder when you're engaging with a company that's in another country that has another language, another culture, very different ways of working and expectations. Typically, there's a lot of barriers between you and the people doing the work. It's a lot of project managers and project directors and account managers. And the more barriers there are between you and the people doing the work, the lower the quality of the work. Yeah. We want to remove the hierarchies. We want to remove any impediment between the customer talking to the team doing the work. We want to reduce that cycle time as much as possible. One of the rants I always go on is when you see the 20% project management fee on an estimate or a quote from a consulting company or a vendor. If it said 50% of the time for a scrum coach, I'm like, yeah, perfect. But 20% of the total cost of the project, that's one of the warning signs for me that an organization isn't adopting an agile way of working. But it's hard. You go in as a consulting company to an organization and they go, we want this work done. How much is it going to cost? And you go, depends how long it takes and how much you want built. We'll have eight people turn up and we'll tell you when you're finished. That doesn't work very well. So the whole funding model for organizations and how they engage this capability is difficult. My experience is that most of these big consulting firms are actually quite bad at developing software in an agile way, somewhere between bad and mediocre. You're lucky if you get mediocre or okay. There's a lot of bad practices, bad management in those big firms and in some of the smaller ones as well. But isn't that weird? Because in the old days, those large firms were accounting practices. And they were bloody good at being large accounting practices that had standardized process, could bring gradies on from university and, and train them up and move them from a novice to a practitioner, to an expert, to a coach. They were really good at that. Yet when they move over into the software development world, they seem less good. Is that because there's more uncertainty in software development versus debits and credits? I think it's because their management have never really understood it very well and have never really committed to being good at it as good as they are maybe in doing audits. My experience with the, the really big famous professional services firms is that you're probably going to get a group of people who are going to be about the same knowledge, experience and standard as the people you have inside your own organization. And it only gets worse from there. 
Yeah, but we we can't forget the the standing joke. You always pay a consultant to write down what nobody will listen to you if you wrote it down. So yeah, that is a business model. That's the management consulting firms, and I wasn't talking about. Bain, McKinsey, BCG, those companies are generally completely clueless about Agile. They have one person in your country who knows what they're talking about. They have a group of partners who are good at selling. And then they have a group of graduates who are are all asking themselves, what is this Agile thing that we're going to be doing to this big bank or telco next week? I know people who were housemates with some of these consultants and the housemate was asking them, oh, Oh, you're doing Agile, aren't you, at your agency? Tell me what it is because I'm going into a big bank who are paying $6,000 a day to tell them all about Agile and it's all new to me. A long time ago, I used to work for a big US software company that had consulting services and our consultants used to always have to read the manual of the module they were implementing on the plane to go to the customer so when they turned up, they didn't have to open the manual on site as often. <laughs> it's funny, <laughs> but it is also tragic. The last thing I want to talk about is assessing your own capabilities. You might be a coach who's come in to help people and they're saying, can you tell us what are our strengths and weaknesses? Or you might be hired as a permanent person. Let's say you're a manager, you want to assess your own company's capabilities. What would you do? So I, I suppose it depends whether it's the organization or the person. It's an interesting question is how many agile coaches have coaches themselves? How many of them actually have somebody else that they talk to and get feedback on where they should improve? I'm not talking about assessing individuals. I'm talking about assessing groups. So we're talking about structure, processes, ways of working, you know, skills, capabilities, um, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. So. What I tend to do is the first week or two, when I'm working with a new team and a new organization, I'll observe. It's really hard for me, actually, because you so want to jump in and start helping. I set it up that we have agreement that I can just sit back and observe for a while. And that helps me assess where they're at and where the next area that we could probably work on might be. But I don't have a checklist. I probably have one in my head, but I don't have one written down on paper. I probably have a better checklist from a technical capability in the data and analytics space. So so I'll look and go, uh, have they automated the tests for their data? Are they reconciling their initial source to target loads? There's a bunch of technical things that I have started to codify so I can see from a technical practice where the gaps are, but not from a capability to adopt an agile way of working. Haven't got there. Not sure I ever will. Yeah. So I find it's quite common that clients want you to do an assessment when you start that makes them feel better and it points you in the right direction. So I have found the best way to tell what the capabilities of a company are like is to to go in and listen to some retrospectives or to run some retrospectives. You can tell whether the company is being open and honest and transparent in their retrospectives. So for example, one organization I went into, they would often cancel their retrospectives or they'd do them in 15 minutes or half an hour. And that's a really bad sign that things are being done in a traditional authoritarian way. Another one prided themselves on being agile, but just tried to get it done as quickly as possible. They just go around individual after individual. That's pretty bad as well, because they weren't getting into the root causes of anything or any fundamental issues. So the way you do it tells you whether you've got the right management mindset and support to do agile. I can go into any organization and run a retrospective and get a whole lot of really good meaty stuff out of it. 
And from there, I can tell a lot about what they're doing well and what the priority should be for improvements. Yeah, I'd say all the scrum ceremonies for me, observing a stand-up and how they deal with that, observing the way they groom the backlog or do the sprint planning. Each one of those gives you insight on areas we can improve. And the key thing is, there's always an area you can improve. Even if you are a really mature scrum team, there's always something that you can iterate on to make your way of working better. Well, and you know what? You don't have to do scrum at all to be agile. You don't have to do scrum at all, no, but always a good place to start. So yeah, observing is really useful. I just don't believe there's a codified list. A lot of people do surveys. It's very common for a consulting company to come in and send out a survey to everybody. Yeah. It's a bit like maturity models. We haven't seen an agile maturity model yet, but I'm sure some idiot's going to go and do one. I saw one at a big telco. One of the big management consulting firms that developed it It was basically an agile maturity model and it had five areas with 10 or 20 questions in each area and a rating of one to five. And they had a target that everybody had to be at least 2.5 by a certain date, but it was all self-assessed. So of course they would say they were better than they were. Which is wrong, actually. They should have lowballed it, given themselves one and then given themselves three next time, and then they would have got their bonuses. I'm also checking the organization against agile values and principles, because that defines what agile is, basically. You could actually do a survey saying, is your organization more focused on individuals and interactions or people and processes? Where would you put that line? A lot of organizations that call themselves agile would probably still be pretty heavy on processes and tools for example yeah i'm just not sure that creating that level of documentation is anywhere aligned with agile principles it's interesting isn't it because people who are engaging consultants quite often want written deliverables which are reports and assessments and things like that yeah Um, and and that's um, something we probably need to talk about another podcast because that idea of as a coach you should not be reporting back to the manager of the team about the team. That's an anti-pattern. You're not there to do that and you should never do that. One of the things I find, Shane, is that the managers often think that the teams are the problem. But when you go into the teams, you find it's actually managers who, who are the problem because the teams are doing their best and trying to improve. But what usually happens is after doing retrospectives properly for a few months, The team has fixed everything they can that's in their control and they're being blocked all over the place by other parts of the organization or by management requirements. A common blocker is that your general managers or your salespeople are are over-promising without asking the team if they can deliver or not. And another common one is that your infrastructure and, and operations team is just making it extremely difficult to deploy. Yeah, another one is you've got a gap in the skills of your team and you need another person on your team to fill that gap, but there's no headcount approval. Yeah, so it's quite common for the team to have fixed their own problems pretty quickly if they're a good team. And then what you're really needing to resolve is problems within the organization, problems of structure and process and approvals and things like that. That tends to be where the big wins and big payoffs happen yeah so i suppose just looping it back to close it out the question is if you were trying to determine the capability of 
an organization that's trying to adopt agile or a person that you're going to bring in to help you adopt agile or an organization that's going to help you adopt agile or an organization that's going to deliver something for you, but use an agile way while they deliver it. Some simple capability assessments you can do. And for me, I think the answer is at the moment, no. And, and my answer would be, I don't think you should codify it, but People who have experience in the space have a sniff test. There are things that they set their warning bills off, and maybe we should document those a little bit more. The anti-patterns we've all seen that we should keep an eye out for. Yeah, I think the people that you get are much more important than the organization brand name. So an organization could have a great brand name and reputation, and you just get a whole lot of people who are just not up to the standard that you expect, including really senior people, or sometimes aggressively going in the wrong direction, which is even worse. Yeah. And, and also it's the, the other shoes sometime on the foot, you know, right? there are sometimes customers or organizations that are not willing or ready to adopt agile and so the good consulting companies or the good people come in and are set up to fail. So we, we need to yeah. look at it both ways, capability of the people who need help and the capability of the people helping. The other thing I look for is the quality of the organization's processes. So it's people and processes. Do they have good processes for doing agile software development? Do they have a whole lot of experts? Do they have a commitment to improving in this space? And as you say, I find the boutique firms are just much better than the big brand name firms, but. I guess I would close out by saying it's all a journey. People have got to start somewhere. We shouldn't be too hard on novices. Everybody was a novice at one point, and we want to encourage them and teach them good practices. But I, I just think we do have to be careful about people who come in with a big brand name because that, that just doesn't tell me anything about how good they are in my experience or, or even how good their team is. Yeah. When you're engaging somebody to do work with you, understand what you're buying and understand who's going to deliver what you're buying and make sure that the two things line up. Yeah. So let's say I was a, a project director for a client and they were insisting that I use one of the big firms. I wouldn't trust the firm. I would insist on my own people interviewing any consultants they had to come on to do the work if they were going to work with us. And I'd be wanting to do my own filter over them. And I'd probably want to set my own ways of working because I think that would be a lot better than what they would do. If we get good people from the professional service firm and they're working in with us in a good way of working, then I know we're going to get a good result. And this goes back to what we were talking about the other day about the product team. I want one team made up of staff, contractors, consultants, all working together in one team across functions, across organizations, without any of this nastiness that you get between different silos and different firms. I want one team working together. It just simply does not work to give your software development to another firm and say, do this for me. Well, that's not what we teach teams to do. We specifically say to teams, don't have a reliance on another group of people that aren't part of your team unless you really can't help it. Don't mm. hand something off and wait for it to be done and given back to you. Get the skills in your team, be able to deliver into the end and get the job done. So that outsourcing of chunks to another organization that's not part of you is an anti-pattern. And you have to look at how they make money. If that organization makes money by having good people 
that they will drop into your team for a period of, and be part of your team. If that's their operating model, if that's their business model, if that's how they make money, then go for it because yeah. they're aligned with you. If that's not their model, then you probably want to think again about whether Agile's for you. Still can take some of the Agile patterns and still better than big design up front and some of the other water fail processes. You're never going to get to close to Nirvana in my experience. So to summarize then on assessing Agile capability, my experience is that that about a third of the people who say that they understand Agile do and the, the others are either very weak or, or faking it, which is a real shame. The certifications don't seem to make that much difference. What really matters is experience, commitment, a, a lot of self-learning, ongoing learning. And then I think you can tell who's good by doing behavioral interviewing and asking them, what would you do in this example or in this scenario, a real scenario, and then just talking through it. And also asking people, what do they think are the strengths and weaknesses of various approaches? Because experienced people will tell you what the weaknesses are in well-known approaches and inexperienced people won't. So apart from that, I'm looking for an agile mindset, servant leadership, some humility, some commitment, some determination, good people skills. And then if it's your own team, it's really well worthwhile investing in improving their capabilities. I like to put in an apprenticeship system within teams where you have experienced people mentoring less experienced people, and that seems to work really well. But just encouraging people to learn, to grow, to develop, to try new things. I don't like to set a mandated set of processes that everybody has to follow. I think it's a lot better to have some guidelines, some ways of working that are good to start with, but then I really encourage teams to learn new things by going to meetups and conferences and then come back and try them out. And if they work, then help the other teams do that. So there's a lot of growth and improvement you can get in a team's capability over time. So I think it's well worth investing in trying to grow your own team's capabilities. Yeah, I agree. I think they're all good tips and hopefully some people who are listening can grab some of them and get a better experience when they're adopting a new agile way of working either in their team or by bringing somebody in to help them. Yeah. And there's a really very big difference in outcomes between a good team and a weak team. So it's really worth making sure you've got a good team and that you're growing and developing them. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Shane. All right, we'll catch you later. That was the No Nonsense Agile Podcast from Murray Robinson and Shane Gibson. If you'd like help with Agile, contact Murray at evolve.co. That's Evolve with a zero. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.